Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to each one of you from God, your Father in heaven, and from your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear fellow redeemed, for you and for me, Easter is life-changing and destiny-altering. Easter has sealed and secured our forgiveness, our faith, and our very future. Easter has positively and profoundly impacted every aspect of our lives, including how we approach and carry out our Savior's mission calling. Like the Christmas shepherds, who after seeing the Christ child, simply made known abroad the saying that was told them concerning this child, so those post-resurrection apostles in the early Christian church boldly and joyfully carried the Easter gospel torch to the far corners of the earth. The connection between Easter and mission work is unmistakable. For it was to the Emmaus disciples on Easter evening that our Savior spoke those words recorded in Luke 24. This is what is written, and so it must be. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and remission of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And oh, how they witnessed. After Ascension, on Pentecost, after Pentecost, we are told that they could not help but speak what they had seen and heard. And this is faith's response to the Easter message of the risen Christ, the sharing of the gospel. It was for those early apostles, and it remains so for us today. And as we seek to present the risen Christ to others, we note, first of all, that this is an invitation, not an intrusion. We go back for a moment to the first disciples, the calling of the first disciples, and it was Andrew and Philip who said, we have found the Messiah. Come and see. And certainly, when you think of Andrew and Philip, they were not heavily theologically trained. They did not possess any special evangelism techniques or church growth techniques. On their part, there was no hesitation, no fear, no pressure. Just that simple, beautiful gospel invitation, come and see Jesus. And isn't that our very calling and purpose to say to all, come and see Jesus. Come and see the Messiah, the fulfiller of all of those Old Testament prophecies. Come and see the God-man who came as the Lamb of God for sinners slain, who came to redeem not only Israel but all of lost mankind. Come and see. See the place where he lay. See the empty tomb. Come and see. Come and all you who thirst, 
drink of the water of life and live forever. Come and see Jesus. See how much he loves you. See what he has done for you. Come, for all things are now ready. And so we are called to be witnesses, not to be enhancers of the resurrection gospel. And by enhancers, I mean adding something to seemingly make it better or more effective or more useful or valuable. Today, all around us in America, we see shrinking church membership and shrinking church attendance. And the response of many churches, including Christian and Lutheran churches, is apparently the word and gospel aren't quite doing the job anymore. We need to supplement it and perhaps even alter the message to somehow make it more appealing or more numerically productive for our church. And what this does and involves is often the downplaying or even the scrapping of those elements of God's Word that make people uncomfortable. Things like the law, or sin, or judgment, or punishment, or hell. One pastor called these things Bible downers. They are things that discourage people. And what has happened in the process is that sadly many churches have not only lost their biblical and gospel focus, but their very identity and calling as a Christian congregation. When we look at those early post-resurrection apostles, we see them proclaiming sin and grace boldly and confidently as God's spokesman. We see them especially pointing souls to the crucified and risen Savior. In his Pentecost sermon, we see Peter doing this very thing when he says in Acts uh, chapter 2, This is the Jesus whom you have crucified. God has raised him up, and we are all witnesses of that. And we are told in Acts 4 that with great power, with great power, they continue to testify about the resurrection of the Lord, and abundant grace was on them. And we pray so it is on us as well. For we are called to go forth and confess our risen Christ. We are not called to convince anyone. You and I, as members of the Church of Christ, pastors and lay people alike, have been called to serve in the ministry of Christ, to deliver the message of Christ to others. And as we do so, is there any more divinely reassuring truth than this? that the power and the sufficiency of the word and gospel rest with God and not with us. Whether it be the power to win souls for Christ, the power to lead a soul to repentance and to faith, the power to move the conversion needle, the faith needle, the sanctification needle, whatever it is, that power entirely and exclusively rests with God through his word and gospel and not with us. For it is said, as you heard last Sunday in your sermon on the ministry of the keys, no one can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. We, you and I cannot convert or convince 
a single person with our word skills, with our persuasiveness, with our human logic. We can't compel anyone, argue anyone, or shame anyone into believing. We are only God's vessels, his agents, his spokesmen, his seed planters, his word sharers, his confessors, through whom, flawed though we may be, the Holy Spirit is working through his word. And always so that the excellency of the power rests in God and not in us. And this was confessed by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 when he said, As for me, brothers, when I came to you, I did not come with superior speech or wisdom in order to proclaim to you the testimony of God. For I had no intention of knowing anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that your faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We continue now with the singing of the hymn found in your bulletin on your screen, Let Every Tongue Confess. Presenting the risen Christ to others also involves being compassionate, not indifferent, or uncaring. No greater example of compassion could ever be found than in the heart of our God, who looked out at a lost and fallen world of sinners 
and was filled with mercy and compassion. As we read in the words of Jeremiah in Lamentations 3, by the mercies of the Lord, we are not consumed, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. And it is said of our Savior during his ministry in Matthew chapter 9 that when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were troubled and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Our Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus, who wept at the, over the city of Jerusalem as it had rejected him. Our Savior Jesus truly sympathized with our sin plight and with all of the unimaginable types of suffering that has resulted from it. Our Jesus cared then, and he still cares now. And he calls upon us to reflect that compassion in our approach to others, to love our neighbor as ourselves in that special way. What is it that evokes compassion in your heart? Is it those weather disasters that not only take human lives but destroy livelihoods and many other things? Is it all of the growing violence in our world and our society today? I heard yesterday on the way over that we are averaging one mass shooting a week in the United States in the past year. Is it violence that we see if we come upon a, a horrible car accident or a tragic airplane accident? Is it the ravages of disease that we ourselves might experience or that we see in others? Is it the suffering or even the loss of a loved one or a dear friend? And I think all of us would answer all of this and so much more. And yet by far, the greatest tragedy that will ever exist is one going on around us right now. The tragedy of souls who neither know, in some cases, or do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Souls missing out on the one thing needful in life. Souls that, even though outwardly it may appear their lives are going well, they are on a collision course with eternal judgment and death. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has placed into the hearts and the hands of every single believer, you and me, the one antidote that can reverse all spiritual suffering and tragedy, and that is the resurrection gospel. Lord, give us compassionate hearts that truly love our neighbor and care about and seek to help souls as we are able. Our Lord's compassion also carried over into his wisdom and ability to adapt his unchanging word and gospel, his unchanging soul-loving and soul-seeking message to the needs of others, our Savior could read the room like no one else in a good way. He knew and he loved every person that he met 
without fear, without favor. And he always adapted his approach to them, to their culture, to their life circumstances, and especially to their own personal spiritual needs. During his ministry, Jesus simply met people where they were at in their spiritual lives. Whether he was dealing with a proud Pharisee, or a disgraced harlot, or a skeptical Samaritan woman, or a weak and flawed disciple of his own, wherever they were, he met them. And he met them with his word, with law and with gospel providing whatever they needed, perhaps a stern rebuke or a gentle reminder or a word of forgiveness, a word of comfort or encouragement and hope. Always his concern was meeting their spiritual needs. And isn't it true that this continued with his resurrection appearances? Think of those to whom Jesus appeared and their spiritual needs. The fearful women the troubled disciple, a doubting Thomas, a broken Peter, and later and finally in his appearances to a proud, defiant, persecuting Christ-hater named Saul. Yet this Saul, after experiencing the risen Christ through the light of the law and the light of the gospel, repented and believed, and after being called to serve as an apostle and devoting his life to proclaiming that risen Christ to all mankind, what did the Apostle Paul say about his ministry? I became all things to all men so that by all means I might at least save some. Lord, melt our sometimes uncaring hearts and help us in our efforts to reach others to adapt our approach to them. Always faithful to your word, but always considering their spiritual needs and their well-being as well. And as we do so, it's important to remember also that we are called not only to grow church members, but also disciples as well. It's interesting that the connection again between Easter and Acts is unmistakable. Easter not only led into Acts, but in a very real sense, the book of Acts is the fruit and the product of Easter. And isn't it interesting that the two great commissions that Christ gave to his church were given in connection with Easter? One of them, in, is on Easter night and the other on his last appearance to his disciples on the Mount of Ascension. To them he said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. And again on Ascension, therefore go and gather disciples from all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and by teaching them to keep all the instructions I have given you and surely I'm with you until the very end of the age. And so Acts followed Easter. 
And Acts could be described as an evangelism explosion. For in the book of Acts, we see those who were eye and ear witnesses to the very resurrection of Christ now becoming mouth and life witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. We see that throughout the book of Acts. Peter on Pentecost, the apostles and Stephen to the Sanhedrin, Philip to the Ethiopian man, and especially the apostle Paul and his missionary companions on their missionary journeys, all proclaiming Christ and everything that he spoke to them. And what was the result? The result was a springing up of faith gatherings of faithful believers beginning at Jerusalem and spreading throughout the then known civilized world. But more importantly was this result. We read in again in Acts 2:47, day after day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And isn't there a powerful lesson in that for us as well? Surely we pray for an increase in faithful congregations and an increase in faithful membership in those congregations, including here at Messiah. But we pray for even more than that. We pray that the Lord would bless our witness of the resurrection gospel to grow the holy Christian church, to grow those who are being added to that church daily. People that we encounter in life, and there will be many, who very likely never will set foot in our church or become part of our church family, yet they are precious souls to our Savior and should be to us as well, and we want to do everything we can to humbly share the word and gospel of the risen Christ with them. Doing so, always with the full confidence, again, it's not us who does the work, the Holy Spirit, through the word and gospel, through the means of grace, will always bless his word and add to his church those who are being saved. And so in closing this morning, I have a final question for you. How many times in your life have you said these words? We won. I think most of us might think back to our days when we played sports and we were on a team or we're playing a game and we were part of the team that won. Whether it be, but now for most of us, saying we won probably occurs when we're spectators or fans of our favorite professional team or college team or even cheering the ILC athletic teams on. We often say those words, don't we? We won. Think about that for a moment. We won? We? Really? What did we have to do with the outcome of that game? Other than perhaps providing some cheering fandom and the like, in a very real sense, at Easter, we can and we should and we do say in the most wonderful way possible, we won. To be sure, it was Christ who was on the field. It was Christ who fought the battle. It was Christ who gained the victory over sin, death, and Satan. And he did it alone. 
But he also, scripture tells us, did it for us in our place as our substitute. And he tells us that by faith in him, we share in this greatest victory of all. The scripture reading from Ephesians this morning together with other scriptures tell us that we not only share in the death of Christ, we share in the resurrection of Christ. We share in the spoils, the fruit of his victory by faith. Because he lives, we also live. And isn't that precisely what the Apostle Paul says at the conclusion of 1 Corinthians 15? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, all thanks, glory, and honor, and praise be to our risen Savior. In him we have won, and now we want everyone else to share in that victory. This morning, it can be said of each one of us, you have come, and you have seen the risen Christ. Now simply go and tell what you have seen. Amen.